Hey everybody, good morning. I'm so thankful that you're able to join us in this medium. Glad we're able to, to be here together. Hey, I hope you're staying warm. I hope your pipes are staying warm, your heart's staying warm. I wanna jump into our text today. We got a lot to get through this morning. So uh, I want us to see where we've been and where we're going. Well, where we're going is to the cross. We call this the journey to Easter. We're trying to get to the cross, looking at the stories of Israel, looking at the Old Testament. And we've already come, we've looked at creation and the fall, and we've seen that our God is holy and that man is sinful and that our Christ is perfect. And then we moved on to the narrative of the flood and Noah, and we've seen that our God is just, that humans, we are corrupt, but that our God is, our, our Christ is righteous and he will ultimately be the righteous one. And then last week we looked at the hard story of Abraham and Isaac and we saw that our God is a jealous God asking something of us and man is called to be submissive and obedient to this God and that Christ ultimately will be the pure and better Isaac, the best sacrifice we can imagine. And I want this to be our frame as we look at the story of Jacob this morning. What are we going to learn about Christ? What are we going to learn about God? What are we going to learn about man. And I want us to see all three of those playing out. Now the story of Jacob is going to cover, when we really just focus on him alone, about 11 chapters in Genesis. And there are stories about his wives and stories about dreams and wrestling with God and all kinds of stuff. But we're going to focus today on really the overarching narrative, which is the story of Jacob and his brother Esau. Now, uh, when we, I'm going to go ahead and let you turn to Genesis chapter 25. If you want to hit up this link over here, it should get you there as well. Um, and I want us to see where we've gotten to in chapter 25. So we've gone through Abraham's lineage, and Abraham had Isaac, and that's where we are right now. And Isaac has just found a wife. Her name is Rebecca. And Rebecca, much like her mother-in-law Sarah, is barren. She's unable to conceive children. And I think it's really cool then the story of Sarah and the story of Rebecca that the Lord is going to open both of their wombs and create this miracle in them so that they can have uh, children. I think that's great. I mean, if that's you today, the Lord is still answering these prayers. Don't give up. But that's where we found ourselves. In chapter 25, verse 21 is where we'll start reading. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The, Lord, the children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Now when her days to give birth were completed, Behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So in this, Rebekah goes and seeks this 
oracle, this prophecy from the Lord. And the Lord sends word about the twins. He says, you've got two different people, dear groups, two different nations in your womb. They are so different. One will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. Now, this is not the norm in the ancient Near East. Maybe it is in your house, but in that tradition, the firstborn is the dominant. The firstborn gets the inheritance. The firstborn gets the blessing and the stuff. They get the responsibility and the reward. But that's not the one that Rebecca favors. She favors Jacob, the baby, mama's boy. And Isaac really prefers his older son, Esau. And this Esau, what do we find out about him? He is this red, hairy, brutish hunter of a guy. In our Wednesday night Bible study, Ruthie Hale said, he is your redneck, which I think is really great. And Jacob is sort of pinkies out, a little bit refined. He dwells in tents. He is mommy's favorite. And he is this cunning deceiver. They are two opposites, and we will see them live up to their names. So let's keep reading in verse 29. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I'm exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. What use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew. And he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So Jacob's preparing this meal, and Esau comes in like a dramatic preteen boy, right? If you guys have those in your house, you know. He comes in and he says, I'm, I'm dying. I'm so hungry. <sighs> this Esau, he is controlled by his emotions. He's controlled by his flesh. This is what has been built up for us in his naming, and this is what we see here. He is just overly dramatic and Jacob the refined one begins manipulating so he says well if you're that hungry why don't you just give me your inheritance why don't you just give me your birthright if you're really that hungry and Esau being a crazy person in a sense says let's do it I'm that hungry he's living for the moment and he makes the deal this has been the worst trade deal in the history of trade deals maybe ever manipulative yeah Deceitful? Not yet. See, Esau would have known that the burden and the blessing from Abraham and Isaac would have fallen on him as the firstborn. But he didn't care about that birthright. He didn't care about the plans that the Lord has had. He gave up his right for something as simple and insignificant and temporal as a bowl of soup. And if this isn't the perfect depiction of of our desire for temporal sin, then I don't know what is. We give up righteousness. For some people, they give up eternity for a temporal sin right now, something as temporary and minuscule as the now. And Esau is showing us now that we are still the same sinners, the same flesh lovers as Adam, as Noah's contemporaries. We are no different. We're willing to potentially give up eternity for the temporary. And how terrible is this? So in your first story, if you're keeping track at home, Jacob, the younger, already has the birthright. And we see the wickedness and the trickiness of both brothers begin to come in. Now, before we jump to our next story, we'll see that a, a tremendous amount of time has 
moved on. They're not these uh, moody and emotional preteen anymore. They are now, when we move to chapter 27, which is where we'll be, they're now grown men. We know this because Isaac is near the end of his life. So starting in verse 1 of chapter 27, we see this. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he's blind, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I'm old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. And prepare for me delicious food, such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. So he's come to his oldest son with this traditional blessing. This is a, a prayer, a prophecy, a promise to his son. And Rebecca hears this. She's got some stealthy ears. And she says, it can't be Esau. It must be Jacob. And so she begins to be deceitful as well. Where do we think Jacob learned it, right? So she tells Jacob, deceive your father. Take the easy road. Your brother has been called to go out and hunt game and bring your father a meal. I need you to not just cheat your father, but take an easy way out. Go get the, the flock from our herd. Go get the harvest from our garden. Bring it back. And you're not really a good cook, so let me make it. And so he goes and does that. But he says, wait a second. I'm supposed to be my brother, right? She says, yeah. He says, well, I, I don't have a lot of hair, and he's super hairy. Now, I think that's kind of a low blow. Like, really? Okay, you can't be that much different. Well, his mom says, well, go get some hair from a goat. All right, this dude, I think they're really just trying to make Esau bad, but they can't. <laughs> There's nobody that's that hairy. But go get the hair from the goat. She says, I'll go get his clothes. We'll dress you up like him. This will be the role of a lifetime. Just be prepared, Jacob. You're going to be your brother Esau. So Jacob gets ready to go. And in verse 18, we see him enter the stage. So he went into his father and said, my father. And he said, here I am. Where are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I'm Esau, your firstborn. Lie number one. I've done as you told me. Now, now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you found it so quickly, my son? He answered, because the Lord your God has granted me success. Lie number two. We all know this. Every lie you tell digs you deeper, and you just have to keep telling more. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near, that I may feel you, my son, and know whether or not you really are my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice. He forgot to practice vocal changes. But the hands are the hands of Esau. So maybe he really was goaty. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, are you really my son Esau? He said, I am. Then he said, bring it near me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. And if you get little kids at home, they're probably raising their hand and be like, no, no, I think this is Little Red Riding Hood. Like, is why are your eyes so big? What? Right? He's just getting tricked. And, and Isaac knows something's off here, but he can't quite figure it out. So Jacob gets the blessing. And if we're going to keep reading, and this blessing is huge, it is comprehensive. Starting in verse 27. So he came near and he kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers that your mother's sons bow down to you. 
Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. And this is a full blessing. It has provision, right? That you may live in the good places with heavy rain. It has power. You need to be over all my household and all your mother's sons. And it gives him blessing. This sounds like the Abrahamic blessing. And Jacob runs out the door. I mean, he thinks, I got it. Jacob the deceiver has the birthright. Jacob the deceiver has the blessing. And Jacob the deceiver is gone. <laughs> he got what he wanted and he's gone. And as he goes out, Esau comes in and he brings in the soup. And Isaac realizes what he's done. Oh, he's just crushed. He is like the granny who's fallen victim to a Bernie Madoff. And she says, you know, there is no Nigerian prince. There is no book deal. <laughs> and Isaac's mad at Jacob, and he's mad at himself, and he's livid. And Esau's mad at everyone, too. And he says, well, didn't you save me a blessing? Didn't you save anything for me? We know the answer to that. We just heard the blessing. No. That's what Isaac tells him. He says, no, I pretty much, I gave away the farm. I gave it all. And so he says, didn't you just leave one thing? And Isaac says, here's what I got for you. You're going to live a hard life. Your brother's going to have all this kind of power over you. But one day you'll break free. Yeah, that's not, not good enough. I mean, that's what I can hear him saying. Uh, you, can't you give me like the chair you're sitting in or something? That's terrible. That's a terrible blessing. So he says... I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. This is the second time he's duped me. I'm going to kill him. Well, Rebecca, remember, she has these stealthy ears. She hears that and runs and tells Jacob, you got to run away. And so Jacob begins to run and he goes to Rebecca's brother's house, Laban. So Jacob's uncle. And while he's there, he uh, falls in love and, and gets a wife and actually gets tricked and gets two wives. One is much less pretty than the other one. Uh, he gets tricked by his uncle slash father-in-law. It's a tricky situation. <laughs> and he's there for a long time trying to work his way um, to win both of those women. And by the time he is done, he has kind of amassed a tremendous amount of stuff and has to run away from his uncle father-in-law. And on the run with all his stuff and all his people, he comes to a land called... Uh, sometimes called Edom, sometimes called Seir. Edom means red, Seir means hairy. He runs into this place with red, hairy people, and we all know what he's thinking. Oh no, these are my brother's people. So he gets there, and he thinks, he, I'm sure, still wants to kill me. Even though it's been decades, I know he wants to kill me. So he sends a legion up in front of him and to kind of scout things out, and they come back and they say, yeah, he still wants to kill you. He's pretty mad. He's got like 400 dudes that are ready to help him out. And so Jacob is, what am I going to do? So he comes up with this plan to send these factions in front of him, send these convoys bringing peace offerings. And every time they say, your brother Jacob is at the back, your brother Jacob is at the back. And by the time he gets up there, his brother is appeased. Esau says all is forgiven. They hug and make up and they're good buddies Again, man, how great would that be if it just ended there? Because it goes on and Jacob gets this blessing from the Lord in chapter 35. And 
Verse 9, he says, God appeared to Jacob again when he came to Paddan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you. And kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you. And I will give the land to your offspring after you. The Lord, I mean, that sounds like a super holistic blessing, right? That has themes of Adam and Noah and Abraham and Isaac all rolled into one. What a great, man, whoop, let's tie it in a bow and be done. But that didn't get us to the cross, right? It sets up the nation of Israel really nice. It builds on all of those other blessings. The Lord says uniquely to Jacob, I'm choosing you. I'm changing your name to Israel. And that's what everyone is going to be you're going to know my people by. I'm choosing Jacob and I'm choosing this nation. I'm doing a unique and special thing through you, Israel, Jacob. This is what I'm doing. And in doing that, that's the lens through which this story is seen. The rest of scripture, as we let scripture interpret scripture, the story of Jacob and Esau is mentioned five other times in five books throughout the rest of Scripture in Jeremiah, Obadiah, Malachi, Romans, and Hebrews. And every time it's mentioned, it's not this beautiful story of reconciliation between two brothers, one of which has really cheated the other out of everything. It's about something different. It's about the Lord choosing Jacob and not choosing Esau. Let me read you the, the most famous of them in Malachi chapter 1, starting in verse 2. This is the Lord speaking. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you, Israel, say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I love Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I've laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says, we're shattered, but we'll rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, well, they may rebuild, but I'll tear it down, and they'll be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. See, Israel goes on to be God's chosen people whom, whom they get favor of the Lord. The Edomites, Esau's people, go on to be subservient, and they live in a desolate waste and ultimately, they end up helping those who are seeking to invade Israel. They turn two different paths in redemptive history. And it becomes a story about not just the Lord's favor like we have with Noah, and not just the Lord's blessing like we have with Abraham, but a story of the Lord's love and choice of Jacob and his distinct different decision for Esau. See, this is the beautiful doctrine of election. Now, not a presidential election. That's long gone. Please, let's not talk about that. <laughs> but God's election of those whom he will save. See, the Lord has chosen or elected some. Now, I can already like feel it through the screen. Some of you are squirming already. You think this is going to be a conversation about Calvinism and Arminianism, and I promise you it's not. You've been jaded by that conversation over and over again. And let me tell you, there are Calvinists in our church, and there are those who would claim that they're Arminianists. There are those who fall in between an all-smattering of the sorts, and we think we can worship together. We don't think that's a primary issue in this church. 
because today we're not going to talk about the finer points of election, which are conditional versus unconditional election. We're talking about election period, that he has chosen some to be saved. Whether or not he looked at their life beforehand is not the question today. So chill out. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about election period. See, most people have no issue with the statement that the Lord loved Jacob. Their issue is with the statement that the Lord hated Esau. And trust me, when I say this, we should feel heartache at this. If you don't have your heart broken over this idea, let me break it for you right now. There are some around you who are going to hell. There are some around you who have not been chosen, who are not a part of the elect. We are not universalists. We don't believe everyone's going to heaven. And so our hearts should be broken for those people. We should yearn for their souls. We should have a desire that they come to know the Lord. We should have the weight of their souls on us. And if that weight is appropriately on our shoulders, it only forces us outward to evangelize. Let me tell you this. If your theology has somehow allowed you to believe that you're not supposed to evangelize, your theology is wrong. Hear me say that fully and clearly. If you think because of how you view election that you're not supposed to evangelize, you're wrong and you're misinterpreting the election and you're misinterpreting a lot of other passages. We're very clearly called to evangelize. We're very clearly called to go and make disciples of all nations and telling them about the good news and the gospel of Christ. So let's learn the gospel. Let's prepare to tell it. And that's what we're going to talk about today, what this doctrine of election is. And we need to be able to go out and tell people about the gospel. Now, back to the point about people having an issue with Jacob I loved and Esau I have hated. If Malachi were the only passage that we found that in, maybe we could see it as a poetic understanding. Maybe we could see it as a turn of phrase in Hebrew, but it's not. Because we see it again in Romans 9. Paul picks it back up and he takes it in a different way. Let me start reading in 9.8. Paul, I'm sorry, 9.6. Paul is trying to answer the questions for the Roman Christians and for many in that time of who is in this family. Who is in the family of God. Who are these chosen? And for many of the Israelites, they would have said, well, I'm in. I've got the right blood in my veins. Starting in verse 6, Paul says this, But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, not all who are children of Abraham, because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. So we're trying to figure out who's in this family. And what Paul is saying here is, you, Israelite, you're not just in because of your family. If that were the case, Esau would be in, and he ain't. So if that's you today, if you think you're just in the family of God, if you think you're just a Christian, you already are, check, because your mama was a Christian, or your grandpa was a Christian, or your sister's a Christian, that's not it. Let me go ahead and break that wall down for you. That's not how Christianity works. Uh, one of the great church fathers uh, in the second century named Tertullian, and yes, if you're already thinking it, if I had a turtle, his name would be named Tertullian, but it's not. I don't have a turtle. They give you salmonella, an animal, let me have one. 
But he has this great quote. A man becomes a Christian. He is not born one. So I don't care what's in your blood. It doesn't make you a Christian. Is what Paul's saying here. He's going to keep going in 9-9. Nine, nine. For this is what the promise said about this time next year I will return. And Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived the children by one man, our forefather Isaac, this is our story, though they were not yet born into nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, the older shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. So how are you in if it's not about family? Is it about works? No. What does verse 12 tell us? It's because of him who calls. We are only in, not because of the blood that's in our veins. We're not in because of the works that we do. We are in because of him who calls, because he has chosen us. And if you have any more questions about this, let's just phone up Paul. Right? He's going to keep talking about this. And 9.14, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means, for he says to Moses, I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I've raised you up, that I might show you my power in you that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills and hardens whomever he wills. What he's saying is, I have elected some of these people. See, Jacob, I have loved and poured out my blessing on him and on his life. And Esau, I have not. Hear me. These aren't my words. This is straight from the Bible. And this is a terrifying thought for many because they ask themselves, how could God be filled with wrath towards a person so much so that he would hate them, right? Like I said, this should break our hearts. Paul says earlier in this first, in this uh, chapter, in chapter nine, that he wishes he could trade places with those people. But let me tell you, if you're asking that question already, you're asking the wrong question. See, when we look at the doctrine of election, this is actually not a doctrine of the Esau side. This is a doctrine of the Jacob side. This is the doctrine of choice, of election, of grace. See, if we look back in Romans, we'll see that our natural state is to be Esau, not Jacob. Our natural state is not to be the ones that the Lord loves. Our natural state is not the ones that the Lord chooses or finds favor in. Our natural state is to be those who are at odds with God, those who are sinful from the start. That's who we are. We are sinful through and through. See, the bigger question is not, why does the Lord hate Esau, but why in the world does the Lord love Jacob. Why has the Lord chosen Jacob? Why has the Lord elected Jacob? We look back at those older stories. Why has the Lord found favor upon Noah? Why has the Lord brought blessing upon Abraham other than the fact of his glorious grace? So if we spend too much time on Esau, we will begin to twist the story in a way that it's not. This story is about Jacob. 
And when we look at Jacob, this deceitful heel snatcher that he is in the person who couldn't do it on its own, his own, he tries to cheat his way out. He, he takes the easy way out. He has to have mommy help him. We should look at that and ask, why him? Why him, Lord? That doesn't make any sense. He's not a righteous man. He, he didn't deserve your favor on his own. And then we should look inwardly at ourselves, lest we think too highly of ourselves. And we ask, well, why me? See, how could you ever love me if not for grace? See, it was grace that the Lord chose Jacob. He couldn't get this election on his own. We ask this question about Esau because I think for many of us, we've stolen the world's idea and we, we think we're good. We think we deserve the love of the Lord. L let me tell you, grace is when we get something that we don't deserve. So, when I go home and I give my kids ice cream, even though they've been bad that day, mostly it's just because I want ice cream myself. But that's a grace. But when they've done something bad and I, they deserve a spanking, but I don't give it to them, that's mercy. But see, salvation is not something we deserve, but we get it anyway. We think, though, oftentimes I think we've convinced ourselves that we as humans, we're okay. We're pretty good. Scripture tells us very clearly there is no one good, not one. In Romans 3 and Romans 6, we'll see that we are deserving of the Lord's wrath. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of this sin is the wrath from God and eternal life in hell. We are deserving of hell. But by the glorious grace of our God, he has chosen to save some. Remember, this is not controversial. We know this to be true in Scripture, that he has chosen some by grace. It was grace for the Lord to choose Jacob. He wasn't worthy of salvation on his own. It was grace for the Lord to choose Israel as a nation. We know clearly they were not worthy on their own. It was grace for the Lord to choose the church. We were not worthy on our own. It was grace for the Lord to choose me, I can tell you from the bottom of my heart, I was not worthy on my own. It was grace for the Lord to choose you. You were not worthy on your own. But I know one who was. This Jesus, who did not stumble towards perfection, he was worthy of it who didn't limp into righteousness, he was worthy of it. Who didn't fall into sacrifice, he was worthy of it. He's worthy of his cause. He's worthy of his title. He was chosen by God to save humanity. Why? Because he was worthy. Get excited this morning. You and I get the free gift of grace from our Lord. The Lord did not get graced into his position. He was worthy of it. So this is a, a wonderful truth of election. This election by grace. This election that sets those that follow the Lord apart. This election that only our Lord is able to do and only our Lord is able to understand through his providence and his glory. 
And now if you're already beginning to question him, let me stop you. If you're beginning to trend back over and think about Esau again, why would this happen? I can't really get it. Why would the Lord do this? Let me give you a great answer from the preacher Charles Spurgeon, who's you're not going wrong too many times if you get to quote Spurgeon. He says that he preaches a salvation, all of grace. That's what we've been talking about. Man, how great. Salvation, all of grace. And a damnation that is all of sin. The Lord is not the one sending them to hell. Their own sin is. And how great of a quote is that? Their own sin is sending them there. Because we already have established we are all sinful. And so if you ask, how would he have known that Esau would be sinful when he's in the womb? The answer is because we all are. But let's not focus too much on that because the good news is that his grace interjects and saves. Without that, we are all lost forever. But the beautiful grace of our Lord has reached out and pulled us into redemption. Smile. You can get up and sing hallelujah if you want to. That's good news. Smile about this this morning. The great truth that this teaches us about our God is that he's full of grace, seeking to reach out to us humans who, though while we were still sinners, Christ died for us and reached out and offered salvation. And this Christ is worthy of that calling. And this Christ is the one who will offer that salvation. He's the means through which we're saved. He is the manner through which the Lord reached out. He is the manner through which God has pulled and saved us. He is the Christ who is worthy to be called our Savior. He's worthy to be pulling us up out of our muck and mire. He was worthy to go to the cross. He was worthy to come back three days later and defeat sin and death. He is worthy to come back and bring us all into eternity with Him. This is the gospel. This is the message of election that he has chosen people to join him. He's pulled us up. Smile about this. Be joyful about this and trust in this today. See, I want you to seriously do some heart searching today. Because let me tell you, I've had to. I don't want to try to make you think there's anything special. I've had uh, tech issues that I think the Lord has been over. See, this is the fourth time I've had to preach this sermon. I intended to do it once, but it's not saved in my phone every time. It hadn't changed a ton either. Because I think the Lord needs me to hear this probably more than any of you. Too many of us have bought into these cultural Christianity lies that it's about how good we can be to be a Christian. I mean, that's what Paul said. It's not about whether or not they did good in their life. Why are we chosen? Because the Lord chose us. That's why. I need to hear that. I needed to preach this to myself four times for it to really sink in. Some of us think... 
it's just, I've got the right blood in my veins. My mom was a Christian. My dad was a Christian. I, I can remember being seven and, and going to get baptized and thinking, well, this is great. Everybody in our family's baptized. Now we got it all in. We just must be this Christian family. Let me tell you, the blood in your veins doesn't save you. The blood from Christ saves you. So if you've bought into these cultural Christian lies, that it's something different that saves you other than the grace of God, it's wrong. Repent of that this morning and trust only in Christ. It's not any of these other things. It's not going to church enough. It's not being in the right family. Ask Esau. He'll tell you how that ended up for him. It's not doing enough good things. It will never save you. And so I want you to hear this this morning. If you think this, if you think that you have been saved because of anything other than the grace of God that he pulled down and reached you and pulled you up, let me tell you, you've been believing in the wrong gospel. You cannot save yourself. You cannot do enough good works. It is only through the grace of God that you can be saved. Trust in Christ alone. He is able. He is worthy. Shed this cultural Christianity and come to the real gospel. It will not be a mistake. Over here in the link description, we're going to have a link where you can send us a prayer request and write us a message. You can direct message us on Facebook. You can call or text into our prayer hotline. You can call me. You can call Matt. Justin, any of our elders, any of our staff, call somebody you know and say, I want to know this Jesus. I want to know this gospel. I've been trusting my own works. I've been trusting in my mama's prayers. I've been trusting in these things that will not get me there. Trust me on this right now. It is only the gospel of our Christ that can reach out and pull you up. Trust in that today. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray for those who may hear this today. Pray that I would hear this again. That it's not my own deeds. It is not my own deeds. It is not my own deeds that will get me there. It's not because I've been born in the right family. It's not because I've been born an American. It's not because I've been born in the right part of America that gets me there. It is because of your grace and your grace alone that you have reached out and you have decided to pull me up and save me. Let me trust in that and that alone. Father, begin to move the Spirit in their lives that, that you would show them this true gospel. I believe that there are many who will hear this word who need to hear this. Father, let us be a people who feel the weight of the souls around us, those who need to hear the gospel, that we would go out and evangelize and tell them the good news of Jesus. Don't let our hearts stay still. Let them be stirred for others. And Father, let us look to our Christ as the one who is worthy. Let us look to our Christ and sing praises to him. Him and him alone is worthy. Let us do this with boldness. It's in your great name we pray. Amen.